You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. This is Brady Hoke. And if I know one thing, it's bad college football. That's why I'm here to tell you about the Shutdown Fullcast, a college football podcast so bad that it's mostly not even about football. Every Wednesday, you can listen to Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, and Ryan Nanny ramble about grocery stores, John Gruden's secrets to everlasting wealth, and unsolved murders. The Shutdown Fullcast. We're very sorry. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. I'm Mike Prada, and today in our season finale of the Limited Upside Podcast, we're joined by Tim Cato and Christian Winfield, the two SBNation.com writers who were at the NBA Summer League last week. And we're going to wrap up all the cool stuff we saw. We're going to talk about Lonzo Ball mania, but we're also going to talk about some other stories that they worked on. Dennis Smith was a huge hit. We're going to talk about the Suns. We're going to talk about the Nets a little bit. We're going to talk about some other players that really caught our eye. And also some interesting stuff on a story that Tim reported out on two-way contracts with the NBA teams, this new provision how it may not be as good for the players as it may seem. We are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We are the Limited Upside NBA Podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on SBNation.com. We really appreciate your reviews. Leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars would be cool, but honestly, we also like hearing the not as great feedback because it helps us get better. You know, our theme song, a lot of our artwork, some of the stuff that we take in from you as far as questions, we appreciate that feedback. So please keep it coming. Please subscribe and listen on anywhere you can on Apple Podcasts. You can listen on Spotify. You can listen on Stitcher, all of those places. And, of course, on SBNation.com. This is the last episode that we'll be recording this year, but we're going to come back right on the first day of August to begin our 2017-18 team previews. So you should go check those out when those come out. Until then, though, enjoy this NBA Summer League recap podcast with Tim Cato and Christian Winfield. This is a limited upside podcast. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast. This is the Summer League Recap Edition, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. This is Ben. Today we are welcoming on uh, a couple friends of the pod who have come on multiple times. They're some of SB Nation's finest NBA writers, and they both survived being at the Summer League for like a week and a half or whatever they were there for. That's Christian Winfield and Tim Cato. Thanks for joining us, guys. Survived Yo. is the right word. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not the same person I was. Oh come on! You guys weren't there for that long. You were. You guys were there for like four days each. Uh, I've done a lot worse than that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting 115 degrees. That's the <laughs> really. Point. What do you expect? It's Las Vegas in July. It's I don't know, man. <laughs> that's, that's, that's different. That's I, different. I wasn't. Really. I once coached a AU tournament in Vegas in the summer. Uh, probably like six. Did years you guys ago. win or lose? Uh, they lost. We lost in the championship. Actually, it was brutal for my for my kids, but. It was a uh, it was 118 degrees a day, you know, 109 at night or whatever it was. So you kind of get used to it almost. Where it, the next like two three days into it, you're like, yeah, 109. It's, it's kind of nice. It's like a 50 degree breeze, uh, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Stockholm but, syndrome kicks in real yeah, quick. Yeah, out it does. There. The worst part is the uh, it's not how hot it is. It's that the air is so thick that you know I've thick. It just—it's not thick at all, man. No, it's the it, opposite it, of thick. Well, like it do, what it does to my lips, like I, I always forget to bring. Air does that, man? Yeah, but it feels like so engulfing as it like kind of captures you. Okay, does anyone not? Agree? No, no. Like it, the idea of being like hit in the face or like god smacked by how hot dry air is is right, one that's, thing. That's what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but it's literally I, the opposite of thick air. I, I will say, as someone who lives in lives in Texas, that yeah, no, it's 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 not thick, but it's it's still hot, even even for someone like me who um, has has knows knows what hot hot temperatures is like. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I will, I will, I will. Yeah, no, but, it's not humid though. It's yeah. Not humid at all. It's not humid DC in different. the summer, Mike. You've been in hotter, more you know. Uh, I've not uh, been in hotter. <laughs> but no, the way it feels on your body. All right, well, we'll Maybe save it's this. Just different. Anyway, we'll so save the weather report. So you guys were out there. Uh, the summer league is over. The Los Angeles Lakers are your champions. Yep, hanging uh, a banner. Hanging a banner uh, with uh, Lonzo Ball as the big talk of the town and Kyle Kuzma dominating in the final. Um, 
So there's a lot we're going to talk about. You guys have done did some really good stuff. We want to hear some of your impressions from the ground. I kind of can't go anywhere else, though, other than Lonzo Ball to start. And, Ben, you mm-hmm. were unleashing a take for the ages yesterday that well, I want you to kind of deliver right now before we get into this. Sure. I mean, this is not like um, this is not that original, but at least if anyone who's watched highlights of or and game film of Lonzo at Chino Hills, there's a closer comparison to Summer League basketball to his Chino Hills high school team than there is Summer League basketball to the actual NBA. And that's my opinion on that, and that's why I think he looked exemplary not just really good. He, his skill set was like, wow, every one of those 70-foot outlet passes was perfect because in Chino Hills and in Summer League basketball, you get like casual three guys playing defense and two guys looking to get their own shot and five guys not playing remote team defense together. And that creates a lot of random openings. Specifically, one of the things I noticed more than anything, most of his outlet passes were hitting his center in the hands down the court. Now, how many times a game in the real NBA is your center, the one down the court, you know, 50 feet uh, past the rest of the team. Usually they're trying to rebound and, uh, and then slowly getting back with the other center. And so as I think about the things that he did really well, and that's, this is not to undermine him. I mean, Lonzo showed a lot of things, and we'll talk about this. Uh, BS, you're from a court awareness you are standpoint. undermining. You're not a big uh, baller. Is, it's just that, like I think the, the most important parts of what we learned about Lonzo or what we will learn about Lonzo, we have not seen anything on yet. Like the second that a guy got directly up into him on defense, he passes it away. It's not his prerogative to beat that guy off the dribble because he can't, um, at least yet. And so athletically speaking, I looked at him and thought, this guy's got some interesting athletic attributes, but I don't think he's fast or quick or explosive or any of those things, which might catch up to him a little more against real NBA players. But then I watched, you know, look, the ball does not stop with him. Um, I love the idea that Lonzo keeps his, his teammates happy the whole game, engaged the whole game. He definitely bred a camaraderie for that team that, you know, went even past when he was playing. Um, in that finals where he didn't play, you still saw really, really good team basketball. Um, one of the things that I, I know Mike and I were talking about yesterday is Mike kind of seemed to think that, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that you somehow, what do you mean you don't somehow want to put without uh, without ball, the Kuzma would like fall over and have two left feet. But yeah, it turned that's out what he I was said. Really good. <laughs> that's what uh, I said. I said Kyle Kuzma would fall over and have two left feet. I mean, I was just shocked to see them get the ball past half court without Lonzo Ball there to throw it for them. <laughs> oh but my uh, God. but I will say this: like, I I really like the way that the culture has already turned for the Lakers. You'd have no idea that this team was so bad for the last few years, and that type of hope. Uh, anticipation for the for the season to watch this guy play with their you know with Ingram who's basically the same age as him uh, you know with uh, <laughs> with Brooke Lopez who's on their team um, <laughs> but the, the idea here is like you can already see the shift that they were looking for in drafting him from a cultural standpoint and that's because the way that he plays not necessarily the X's and O's or how he projects or any of those things but the mentality of team basketball that he exudes so yeah I give him a lot of credit there. And I think that's something that will translate. It translated in high school at UCLA and will translate in the NBA for the Lakers. Um, to what degree, you know, we, we will see. But I think it's pretty clear that he's already made a pretty indelible mark. So, Tim, you wrote that he's the anti-D'Angelo Russell, um, which uh, is significant because of what the Lakers did. Um, what, um, <laughs> what stood out to you and what, maybe expand on that a little more? Like, what do you mean by is he anti-D'Angelo Russell? Yeah, I, I think it. I think that comparison works for him. Um, just, just because you know he's he's the guy who who is, is going to make his team teammates better at, at, at all points on the floor. Um, you know, he's not a a scoring point guard as as is in uh, vogue of, of late. Um, you know, he's he's not going to be a guy who is probably ever going to average more than uh, fifteen points a game. I, I would imagine, but um, I, I think I think that works, and I think for the team that. The, the team that the Lakers are developing, um, that's that's the kind of player that they're that they're going to want. Um, just just in the sense that they're they're always going to be able to bring in bring in talent. I think because they're the Lakers, because for, you know free agents want to go play there, uh, because Paul George might be headed there next summer. Um, you know that's that's never going to be the problem. But but Lonzo Ball is is the type of unifying uh, unifying force that can bring a lineup together. Um, whereas I, I never felt like D'Angelo was necessarily that person and I, I wish him well um in, in in brooklyn and i think that's a good fit for him um and a good a good place to keep developing uh i, I don't think it's really about him specifically as much as lonzo's gonna make sense on this team um and also you know like like for for as much or as little as you bought into d'angelo's problems in the locker room and and, and other stuff that was 
was was broadcast about that. Um, I think it's pretty clear that you know Ball might come from the Ball family, but but everything that Ball himself, you know, that Lonzo himself has done, kind of kind of speaks for itself, and that that you know he is he is clearly beloved by the by the by his teammates already. It seems like, and and nobody, uh, you know, he he has a very opposite and, and different approach than than the one his dad takes. So um, that 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 really stood out to me. Um, and then just just the Lakers fans that came out for Lonzo and and you know just how how much they pack they always pack it in there. But but Saturday night was the first night they ever sold sold out summer league. Um, and and I I think it was because of you know the the ball branding hype and and all of that and 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 you know just how just how popular Lonzo is already yeah uh, they were all there to see Kyle Kuzma too <laughs> did you see the pictures by the way of like how crowded it was for the summer league finale how That's many crazy. of those fans do you think knew that Lonzo wasn't playing not many <laughs> yeah yeah um we'll talk a little bit about the nets and russell because i know christian you're close to them but i i'm curious what you think i mean ben you you mm-hmm. talked a lot about uh what lonzo does not do well mm-hmm. um it's fairly clear that there's some sort of intangible magic to his game uh but christian how serious do you think like some of these flaws are i mean like he didn't shoot the three ball very well and he didn't really finish around the basket very well i mean he's got this weird thing where he jumps uh yes he never finished well at ucla his he shot a good percentage in twos uh, at ucla because he literally only took layups and threes at ucla i think Mm -hmm. it's like 89 percent of the shots he took or something to that effect um but with that in mind he has weird english on the ball he spins the ball like it's a finger roll with a regular layup it's almost yeah. like a cup to spin he's got like all this the time. he's got like this weird thing where i think he jumps too far from the basket for his lack of explosion but anyway mm-hmm. i mean there clearly are flaws there i mean christian how serious do you think those are i mean do you think that that do you agree with ben that those are going to be a problem as the competition gears up or are we missing the magic of lonzo by harping on these flaws I mean, I think just like any rookie that's just coming into the league, there are going to be flaws in his game. Obviously, you would like to see more from him on the defensive end. His three-point shot wasn't there early on, but he did start hitting a couple of them later on down the stretch of the summer league. Um, I think just like any other rookie, it's going to take him time for his whole game to develop. But I do think, you know, there's two things that I saw in Vegas that, you know, that kind of show you how important Lonzo Ball is to Los Angeles and what type of player he is. One, uh, specifically, I believe Thomas Bryant is trotting back on defense. Um, Lonzo Ball jumps up, intercepts. No, one of his teammates intercepts a pass. Thomas Bryant sees the pass, is going to Lonzo Ball, turns around and sprints, full full force sprints up the floor, catches an alley-oop from Lonzo Ball. He does that because he knows if he runs hard, Lonzo is going to give him the ball. So Lonzo's unselfishness, his selflessness, whatever you want to call it, is making his teammates run harder. You know, they are getting to the rim because they know that Lonzo is going to get, get them the ball. Can't say that with a lot of other point guards in the NBA. Talking to you, Reggie Jackson. <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's- his contractually obligated Reggie Jackson diss. This is like as on point as Ben praising the Sixers unnecessarily. <laughs> Lucky we didn't have a Chandler Parsons thing in here yet. But um, another one, just, you know, I spoke to uh, Kyle Kuzma a little bit. I had him for a second. And I was just like, hey, are Lonzo's passes making everyone else make the extra pass? And he said, you know, you can say that. As At the same time, it's part of the system that we're running, but... When you're playing with a guy like Lonzo, who's always looking to make the right pass, you kind of look crazy if you're not making the right pass, too. So just those two, you know, his, his passing attributes, just how selfless he is, it's just, it's it's kind of perfect, you know, because he, he the attention is kind of on him because of, of the whole media circuit, because of his father and everything. But he's trying to get other people the ball. He's trying to win. Um, and sure, he didn't shoot the best in summer league. And sure, he's got a couple flaws in his game. But in the big picture... This, this kid looks like he can be better than Rondo, in my opinion. And if you're better than Rondo, you're doing pretty good for yourself. I'm fine. I'm totally fine with that. Better on Rondo on one end. Yeah. yeah. And better on, on Rondo end. when he was good. Yeah, on at offense. At, at defense, yeah. Rondo was one of the biggest disruptors in the league and, and basically was the catalyst for the, the defensive integrity. Yeah, Ball's, ball's defense ball. does worry me. That, that, is, that is concerning to me. It's just that I don't, I don't know what his ceiling is. Yeah, his his, uh, his defense will be a little bit of a problem. That's true. But the other thing too is Ben, you mm-hmm. talked about like how summer league is very Chino Hillsy, and mm-hmm. that like kind of made him look good. Like, isn't the NBA becoming more? I mean, no, it's not che- total Chino Hillsy because it's way up and down. 
But the NBA is faster now. They play faster. They play more in the open floor. It's more of a Chino Hill style game than I think it's yeah. it's it was before. Like I don't understand that point. I mean, literally, part of the Chino Hills game was like give up the layup uncontested so you could start running out. And there were moments where you could see that that ball was, and this specifically against uh, there were multiple possessions in a row against Dennis Smith Jr. and Yogi Ferrell, both quicker, smaller guards. But that's going to be most guards the ball will be having to to d up will be smaller and quicker. Um, his lateral movement's bad. He doesn't fight through screens well. Um, you can pick him off and lose him. He had one highlight chase down back from behind, come from behind block that was only available because he got four feet behind his man. Help defense came and he came back. And this was in the semifinal, I believe. But the idea is like his on-ball D isn't great. Um, he got shook multiple times by Dennis Smith from pretty simple moves, just hard drive right and stop. Um, he is not the only person Dennis Smith shook. And, and we'll talk <laughs> plenty. We'll week. talk more about Dennis Smith Jr. He, yeah. you know, uh, when we talked to Tim about this, Tim wrote a, a really good piece on 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 Dennis Smith Jr. being the future of, of the Mavericks. Yeah. But I, I I think that one of the things that that becomes more apparent is if you can't stop people, it doesn't matter how well you score yourself. And look, he's got going to be playing in the Western Conference of the NBA, where there are so many dynamic offensive point guards, offensive two guards. Um, is he going to be able to guard McCollum or Lillard or Paul or Harden? Curry, like we can go down the list, or or Fox, who he was kept out from playing in summer league, kind of suspiciously. Um, I just want to interrupt really quickly. Go ahead. I believe the point of them signing Caldwell Pope was so that he wouldn't have to guard any of those guys. Exactly. Well, no, that's a good point. They're, I mean, but they're both they are both taller guards. I mean, there's they, that's that's no, all KCP good. is a really good one. KCP defender. is a that, very very good defender. That's true. And that's true. If, uh, if you're running out Brandon Ingram. And potentially, you know, what I'm saying whoever else you're going to have at the four or at the three, those pick and roll guys are going to be able to switch. Brandon Ingram is going to be able to switch onto whoever you're running Lonzo through a screen with. You know, I think the Lakers have an idea of what they're doing on ways to hide Lonzo on defense. And if you're losing because someone is going one on one with Reggie with a with with a Lonzo ball every trip, you know, what I'm saying I'd yeah. I'd take that. You know, what I'm saying yeah. okay, I'll let Reggie Jackson dribble to the ground sure. a thousand times. Sure. And there's the Reggie Jackson reference well, all right, so, again. So, I mean, I guess part of it is when you're constructing this team, and like I think the Lakers obviously are far from a finished product, and I don't want to extrapolate too much from what we saw with maybe three NBA players on their summer league team to what the actual team will be like. But hey, the, Alex Caruso. Man, he's, 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 he's got a two-way contract. serious... Uh, or no. he got a real contract. No, he got a two-way, two-way contract. Okay. We'll talk a little more about those because yeah. Tim had a great piece on I that. I always say you want to give your two-way contracts to the most finished products possible. But anyhow, um, there's a joke there, guys. But oh. the, the point here is— Is he is, finished? Yeah, man. Caruso's not like—his game is— this is Oh, the guy, no, I thought you This is who meant, he was at A&M, and no, he was I thought, a really good I, player at A&M. I thought you were saying he's finished like the country finish. Oh, thin-ish. That's good, yeah, man. That's, <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna mark it in that one down. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> God. All right. Well, anyway, real quick, real quick. the Lakers are developing. Look what you've a, done, Mike. <laughs> but they're developing a team who might rebound the ball like six times a game total, and will have literally the uh, the body mass of like a paperweight. I mean, they're, they're going to be the thinnest, softest team I could ever imagine with the lineup they're putting out there. It's not going to be that thin and soft. Like yeah, they got Julius Randle still. <laughs> Julius Randle's fine, man. His baby arms will do. Well, but Brooke what, Lopez is not so. No, I mean, Brooke Lopez, you're, you're gonna be crashing the boards with Brooke Lopez. Um, that's okay. But no the, the point here is that we could we just talked for like 20 minutes about the Lakers in the middle of July, and that's because that's the excitement that Ball has brought here. And look, this was always going to be a summer league about Lonzo Ball. Lavar made it that way before he was even drafted. Uh, he, you know, the expectations here are high and so far he's met them um and I, i'm i'm excited to now see the lakers play in the 15 primetime games they don't deserve to be in next year oh wow <laughs> you don't sound that excited now real quick before we move on now let's let's imagine what ben would sound like if lonzo ball was on the sixers <laughs> there let, let's see anything because markel fultz didn't even play at least he would have had someone yeah but I know. Right. I mean, we literally. I mean, yeah. That that was my disappointment, or I should say, my feelings towards Ball are probably shaped by the fact that I didn't get to see Fultz play that much, which was just like a culmination of disappointment from the last multiple summers of watching the guys I was excited to play, not not play. Um, mm. So I'll, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm wearing that in the way I feel about this. But I want to get to the other standout rookie who played in that semifinal game against Lonzo Ball and was quite good in it and had a great summer league. He is now currently sitting at. 
Uh, he went from 16 to 1 to 3 to 1 odds in Vegas for the rookie of the year because of his about, performance. What do you think about these odds changing so much because it's summer league? Well, Lonzo went from 5 to 2 to 5 to 2. So he hasn't changed at all. He was always the favorite for, for rookie of the year. Yeah. But Dennis Smith took the biggest jump. And, and this is Tim, I want to get your thoughts on on everything you saw uh, you know, leading into the summer league from, from draft day to where we are right now about this guy. You wrote a great piece on my, I suggest everyone go read it. Um, what are your thoughts on Dennis Smith right now? The three to one currently running number two as the uh, second favorite to win the rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't really have any hot hot takes about Dennis other than that he's the greatest player who's ever played <laughs> basketball. But um, besides that, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to push any boundaries and make any headlines. But <laughs> I, I think I think that's pretty obvious from a summer league play. Um, but but in in all seriousness, I mean, I, I think he's exactly. Um, as good as people thought he could be, and you know he was he was the guy I pinpointed to the Mavericks as, as the guy I thought who would fit the best and as someone who could slip. And I, I think that a lot of people are going to look foolish in in a, in, a, in maybe this season when they look back and they're like, wait, we passed on that guy Next. because because he really is because yeah he really is um, you know just just an all around you know he came into the he came into the college season as the uh, as the consensus number three pick. Um, as as the consensus consensus number three prospect, and um, he really never did too much to lose that status except play for a bad team. Um, and unlike Fultz, who kind of shined above his team, um, Smith just never really got the uh, got the credit despite playing very well um, at at NC State. So, to to me, like you know him him as a prospect never never really changed. Um, just the perception of him, you know, fell off because he was. You know, not in the spotlight, uh, especially as as the tournament round wound on, um, or you know, once we got to the tournament, he he wasn't in the spotlight. He wasn't, you know, make, make still making plays, and I think that really, um, you know, hurt him. And, and that's you know the the best explanation I can have for for why he fell all the way to nine. Because to me, it seemed clear he was a he was a top five talent, and 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 that's what. Uh, the the I think that's what you saw with him and with the Mavericks in, in summer league here. What, what specifically? Um, like okay, we we knew he was uh, you know he's two years removed now from his ACL. His athleticism is through the through the roof. I mean, he that missed dunk he had. Uh, it was, was the most spectacular awesome. missed dunk. Uh, this is redundant to even say it, but that was the most spectacular missed dunk I have ever seen, um, or one of them. Um, what specifically, aside from his athleticism and uh, and even just like his offensive prowess, which was was pretty eye opening. Leadership, communication, even defense. T- tell me some things you didn't expect to see from him that you definitely uh, learn more about. In in the piece I wrote about him, I, I lead it off by talking about his uh, his humble confidence, and that's that's actually um, a couple words I got from Rick Carlisle when me and him had a uh, had a had a little chat about chat about him, and and I do think I, I saw it where. You know, when when I was, you know, even even in his interviews, he always he always um, w- when I introduced myself just as, hey, I'm based in Dallas, you know, I'll be around a lot this season. Um, you know, he he was like, you know, it was an eye lock. And, and I felt like he was once once he realized, like, I, I was someone who he'd be seeing a lot more of. It almost felt like he was trying to impress me for a moment. And, and you know, I well, that's, everybody that's not should. <laughs> I mean, I mean. Besides the pedigree that I obviously come in on being Tim Cato from SB Nation, but but <laughs> beyond that, of course, um, I I really felt like he was you know he was look uh, you know coming out here trying to make a good impression um, uh, on people, and you, you don't get that from nineteen year olds uh, hardly ever. Right. Um. So so I I thought that was that was neat. Um. You know just just overall you know he seems very well grounded and you know he his his backstory is uh, fascinating. Um. And and you know a little you know just. Just the way he came up with with uh, with a single with a singer ah I'm sorry the the way he came up with a single father um, you know in in North Carolina um, there's there's a there's another really good feature of a few weeks ago uh, by the Dallas Morning News uh, detailing you know his his childhood home and, and how he how he grew up hmm. um, and you know I think I think that clearly put him put him on the right path um, just just how steady his father was uh, as as he grew up and. Uh, he definitely seems like the, the type of player who can, you know, he has he has the potential uh, probably to be better than any other young prospect on the Mavericks roster. Um, and, and I think he has the, you know, the, the mentality and the mindset as well, That's, because uh, someone someone else you would call humble, humble and confident uh, would be Dirk Nowitzki mm-hmm. for what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. The, the fact that you said best prospect in the Mavs, that actually means something now. A little bit more than it did twelve months ago, as you talked about. In terms of his actual game, like I didn't 
he's a lot better of a passer than I thought he was uh, from hearing about him at NC State. Now he's going to commit a crap ton of turnovers because so Alonzo. Oh yeah, Fox no, of Fox. course. Yeah, 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 but, but I think Smith in particular because he jumps, he, he like makes such athletic plays, and he rely. I think his passing is reliant on his athleticism yeah. in a way that he needs to learn how to hone, which he will. It is. I yeah. yeah. I, I I was super impressed with his steps. He's amazing with footwork already. Mm-hmm. Um, He's got that super, nice little turnaround exactly. Steve Smith reverse spin jumper. Exactly, but he goes straight up. It's, his balance is great for a young guy. Uh, he's, he seems to have um, – I guess the way to look at it would be you don't know how great a guy is at passing when he's playing for Godfrey at NC State and he's passing to a bunch of bums. Uh, so that's part of it. But it, it seems that yeah. he was um, already taking that mentality with Yogi Farrell and Tim. I don't, maybe you saw this too, but they looked like they were like, hey, let's, let's get some practice here because this is going to be you know four months from now. Like This is real for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah. that was kind of cool and- to see. One good thing about Carlisle is you know that he will pair him with a veteran guard who mm-hmm. can take some of the pressure off him. Uh, to always be initiating the offense, so that that will happen a lot, and I think that will be good for him, yep. uh, especially as as he develops into you know someone who can be a can be a lead floor general, as 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 you could say. Yep. Christian, who are you more impressed by, Dennis Smith or Lonzo Ball? Um, I would say Lonzo Ball for sure. I think Lonzo kind of solidified that he's the best guard in this draft class. Um, in just as I was, don't don't get me wrong. I was definitely surprised with Dennis Smith. I thought he was really poised. You know, I thought you know a lot of times I would see him attack, and then he wouldn't rush through his movements. He would take his time and either make the right pass or get to the rim. I was really surprised. And then of course you talk about his athleticism when he almost baptized whoever that guy was. I don't remember what what that guy's name is, but he almost he almost destroyed him, and it would have broke the whole UNLV campus down. But I was really surprised by Dennis Smith. I was also I was a little saddened that we didn't get to see Frank Nilakina in this entire process because at the end of the day Frank did go number eight, you know, and that's going to be the talk of town until he touches the floor and proves that he can actually play. And right now it looks like Dennis Smith is the steal, but we don't know what Frank looks like. You know, we don't know if he's you know if he looks like George Hill, who just a little bit more athletic with long arms, who's going to force turnovers at half court and then get up and do three sixty windmills. We don't know if that's going to be his game. You know, so I do think it's kind of unfortunate that that happened. But I was really, really impressed by uh, by Dennis Smith, and then he can shoot it too. You know, I was, I was just impressed by his entire offensive game. Yeah, I, I think that that's an astute point there too. Like not to disparage someone we haven't seen because someone else has played well. Like no. It's not to knock faults down because Ball played well and they went one pick apart, or Frank Nilakina and, and, um, and Smith because of, you know, obviously the nature of being picked one before or one after. And uh, plenty of teams have illustrious histories of getting the wrong pick one before a superstar goes, Sixers chief among them, but I don't want to get into that. Um, I guess I guess the the best way to kind of bring this all together. And we had a really good question here, um, and I want to make sure that I get this this right. Um, Robert Flom sent us this question. We appreciate it, man. Thank you for the question. Uh, what type of player does summer league reveal the most about? Rookies Ooh, versus veterans. I like this question. skills versus athleticism. You know, team team ball versus someone looking for his own shot. Uh, I guess Christian first and foremost here because you just we just get that nice comp there between Smith and Ball, and they're sort of good placeholders. But in general, what do you think that answer to that question is? What type of player does summer league reveal the most about? Um. I would just say, like, guys who are going to go get it. You know, like, for example, Kyle Kuzma, he was on the team with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. You know, that first game, I think his first game, he came out shooting three of eight. He came out and, you know, he he stole the show, in my opinion. So I was really impressed by that. Another guy was really who I was really impressed with was Caleb Swanigan. You know, just guys who, who you may not have heard of, guys who weren't as touted in, in college, guys who didn't have the most hype coming in. Those guys really have a chip on their shoulders, and they want to come out and play. And so I was really impressed by those guys. I think those are the guys that you learn a lot about because a lot of guys are going to disappear. You know, a lot of guys are going to end up going overseas. A lot of guys are playing in summer league just to get a little bit money on their check overseas or wherever they're headed. But a lot of these guys are really playing for for their livelihood because they want to be in this league. And um, I think you learn a lot about those guys who aren't necessarily the top five, top ten picks but are really trying to prove that they belong in this league and that sh- maybe they should have been a top 10 pick. You learn about those guys, in my opinion. Tim, what do you think? I, I think I think that it, it does impact, um, you know, the, the young people 
Um, I, I think getting, you know, we were obviously going to be drawn to them, getting getting to see college prospects in, mm-hmm. you know, in in this type of arena and, and in this type of setting, um, you know, more so than, you know, just just be just because we 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 haven't we don't always get that. You know, this is the first chance we get. But, um, you know, there, there's definitely going to be, you know, it's, it's not it's not the NBA. Um, it, I don't think some really tries to be the NBA, um, you know, to an extent. Certainly people know that um, that. You know, when 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 they're going into to, in, into a, a sport like this, that it, it's it's definitely going to be a, you know, a, a more developmental process and stuff. So to, to me, the things I, I value most is just things that I things that I can see that that look like uh, that look translatable. That, mm-hmm. You know, if, if I see NBA moves or NBA uh, shots or NBA consistency, you know, those are all things that stand out to me more than, you know, um, more more than just general effectiveness or, or stat lines or, or anything like that. So. so would you say that you're more wary of like the the athlete who stands out because he's more athletic or, or more wary of the guy who has a higher skill set threshold. Um, but ultimately, you don't think that that will translate to being effective when the athleticism and intensity rise in an NBA game. This is a great – this is the Lonzo versus Smith question. This is the Lonzo Smith. defined because uh, – Prater, go ahead. You, you take that first then. Yeah, I mean it's – so I would say that it's – Kind of the answer is neither mm-hmm. um, and both at the same time. I, in general, believe that the summer league means nothing take is stupid. I'm, yeah. I'm stupid at counter take and the counter take. So Kevin Pelton did this study a few years ago. ESPN's Kevin Pelton. He looked at like kind of the stats of players in summer league. And he looked at the correlation uh, for regular season. And in general, it's very low. Um, I don't remember what the exact number is, but it's like it's pretty – not much of a conversion mm-hmm. there. But he found that for rookies, the conversion was actually fairly decent. But it, for everybody else, it was very minimal. Hmm. So um, I thought that was interesting because I think it actually it does jive a little bit with what I'm thinking here, which is I think the – or is that the right word? I don't know. I always yeah, use it's it okay. Word. Just keep going. It, it, it mold, Whatever. I think that for rookies, this is it important. meshes with it. meshes. That's the go. word, yeah. As my – contractually obligated mess up of a metaphor <laughs> i think it, it matters for rookies i mean christian hit on it to some degree like you do if you're sort of recoiling from summer league i think it's a bit of a bad sign because what you have is you basically have a league where nobody has great cohesion but he play those guys play really freaking hard yeah in yeah. summer league so if, if you can meet that i think that's sort of like a good first step yeah and then beyond that i think Assuming you can meet it, if you can play your game and thrive sort of in that setting, I think it says a lot about you. I tend to think that the same type of players play well in summer league. It's the guys who are a little bit more physically dominant, the guys who are a little bit more one-on-one heavy. Like Kyle Kuzma was great in summer league, um, and don't get me wrong, like I, I was impressed. But he also yep. sort of is the player type, I think, that plays well in summer league. Also age-wise, he's 22. But if Dennis Smith at 19 – looks the way he did. He has the player type that works in summer league, but he's also younger, really young. I thought the other guy that's sort of an interesting test study for this is someone, Christian, you were following really closely, which is Josh Jackson. Um, There were times when his shot was not going in, and there were times where he was really playing his game. I'm curious if you think that what Josh Jackson did translates, because I think that's sort of the, the... You could tell that he belonged physically. You could tell that he was engaged. You could also tell that like he, his shot was just really broken, uh, and he'd have moments where he really wasn't there. But you could also tell that there were these sort of little glimpses that when they put him in a, a unique position, that he showed some some signs of abilities that are unique. I think if you can stand out ability-wise within uh, little glimpses, that says a lot. I thought that, that Josh Jackson and the Suns, that was sort of an interesting little test study. Yeah, the the Suns in general kind of have everything that that question embodies. They have a couple yep. second year guys who we wanted to see improvement from, both physically and from a skill standpoint, in Chris and Bender, uh, and then Jackson. Um, you guys got a chance, both uh, Christian and Tim. You guys both got to see the Suns play. Yeah, I saw them. Yes. Okay. Cool. So, what are your thoughts on those three guys, but specifically? And we had a question here. I just can't seem to find it. Here it is from uh, Jacopo Pellegrinelli. I uh, probably mispronounced the fuck out of that one but uh (laughs) anyhow uh any thoughts on chris and bender and i guess the answer here is yeah we we have some thoughts already what did you guys see from them from an improvement standpoint from last year where obviously there were a lot of steps that needed to be taken they're both super young and they're still we should say are about the same age as the incoming class uh of freshman uh, rookies this year i'm sorry um and what did you see that's still left to be you know uh, on the table there for me i guess with 
the the visible difference of both those guys they got bigger you know mm-hmm. they, they got older, their bodies had more developed uh marquis put on some muscle um even even dragon looks like they look like grown men mm-hmm. you know even though even though Marquise Chris has still kind of has a, like a little baby face, their their bodies are 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 you know they're grown man sized. So I guess that's the first uh, noticeable difference I saw. Um, I guess in terms of things that they need to improve on, I was talking to Earl Watson for a second. He said he his biggest problem right now. He, he didn't really call it a problem, but the thing with Marquise for him is getting him to compete on a possession to possession basis, not taking possessions off. Um, I think that's an area that, and you could see it sometimes. Like he'd just trot back on defense and not fully sprint. He wouldn't really try to crash a rebound here, or he'd just jog up the floor on there. Just little things. Um, Marquise did take a step with his three point shot. I felt he didn't make all of them this this summer league, but he was comfortable shooting that shot. Um, Dragon, you know, I didn't. I, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't really, really see. Uh, I didn't really see any any difference in his game from last year, honestly. But I do know that they are. You know, they, they're two guys that like to play with each other. They're two guys that they're going to try to run at the four and the five spot. Um, I think they can be good. They just, it's just going to have to be Earl Watson pushing them, like he said, to have Marquise competing on a possession-to-possession basis. They they compare Marquise to, to Serge Ibaka. You know, they think he's going to be a guy who can play above the rim, who can defend the paint, and who can shoot these threes. You know, and, and when you think about it, that's, that's kind of what Serge Ibaka can do. Um, and if that's what Marquise Chris turns into, it's going to be their job to turn him into that because sure. he's not Serge Ibaka by far at all. But if you can turn him into that and you see what else you have in there, it's kind of a little bit of a promising core. But obviously they have their work cut out for them. They're not going to be that good anytime soon. But let's see how it works out, you know? Mm-hmm. So they have – you wrote about it as like a three-pronged core of Booker, um, who you kind of know what you're getting at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like kind of the surest thing they have. They have yeah. Chris and Bender as a tandem, which is like a total mystery. And then you have Jackson, which I, I was encouraged by a lot of what I saw. But, you know, his shot is really broken. Like, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I'm not particularly impressed by either Chris or Bender. I just think Chris doesn't think the game. And I think it's part of what you talked about, which is that he's not locked in mentally or physically. Um, yeah. so I just don't think he really thinks the game very well. And I, I just. He's also 20. He is also 20. Yeah, yeah they're all so young. They so are, like, but I, like I think. Literally, I, Booker's the oldest one at 20. And then Chris is just turned 20 and Bender's still 19. Are they right. almost too young? But I, I also think that it, it, yes, but if you, the players who have like a year under their belt, like I just yeah. think is a big difference. And I'm not sure I saw enough from them. Yeah. I mean, Bender is just such a mystery. I just feel like his game doesn't work. And they almost, are, they almost are doing him a disservice, I think, by pairing him with Chris, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I can defend Bender a little bit. I, I can defend Uh-oh. him for a moment. I, th- I think, you know, I, I don't watch the Suns as much as Christian who, who wrote, you know, about them, but uh, I, th- I think in I think in Bender's last game, um, you saw kind of the player that that he wants to be or that that he should stri- try uh, try to be. Um, he had uh, 20 points and, and five assists, and he was you know he was consistently getting you know for, with with someone with his body he was getting to the rim, um, and in not not just straight line drives. You know he was you know making moves and, and finishing you know dri- driving driving right, uh, driving left, and then finishing on the opposite side of the basket, and that. That was that impressed me just be just because you don't see people with his size necessarily able to do that, um, and you know I'm worried about a lot of, I'm, I'm worried about the way he shoots and and you know whether he's ever going to be able to do it good well enough. But uh, for for someone who's who's his height, um, uh, I I think the mobility there that that he every once in a while while flashes and, and was able to show in in his last game, um, I, I think that's what he should be aiming for and what what the Suns are hoping for. Yeah, Tim, you actually just jogged my memory for a second. Thanks for that. Um, his passing ability is what they are very high on. You know, he has very good vision. They're hoping that he can be the type of guy who can kind of like sit at the pinch or sit at the high post and run some offense and throw a lob to Marquise Chris or hit a guy that's open in the corner. Um, so I think they're hoping that he can turn into that playmaking big. And um, we saw a little bit of that when he had, I think you said he had five assists in his last game and we know he can pass the ball. It's just kind of Everything has to come together for that team, and it's going to take the time. A long time, um, probably. But um, all right, so we talked about Phoenix. Let's talk real quick about a couple things you guys did while you're out there. Christian, you talked to Kenny Atkinson of the Nets. Um, Yes, I did. You know, the Nets are not a team that I think a lot of player people follow um, at the end of the year for obvious reasons. Uh, Sorry, Nets fans. Yeah. So what? You asked, I think, a good question there to Kenny, which was like kind of while nobody was watching, like what did you see from your team that uh, you can translate over? Um, and they talked to – they have D'Angelo Russell now. Uh, it sounds like they're going to play him and Lynn together. 
uh, in yes. the backcourt. They've got a lot of interesting prospects. Uh, you know, Lavert, Ron Alice Jefferson, Isaiah Whitehead, who were on the summer league team. Like, what? What is something that uh, Atkinson told you that you've kind of been able to observe uh, from being around the Nets that, like, maybe the the more most people are not really paying attention to as something that is either going the right direction, a key question that maybe they have that uh, people don't really understand. Like what, what have you, what did you get from, from Kenny when you talked to him? Well, first off, you know, you look at the record 20 and 62, you see some of these scores, you're thinking, man, this team doesn't really want to win. They're not coming out here competing. That's a lot, you know, just from watching the team all year long, I could tell you these guys go out and compete. You know, they're, they're running their offense. They're playing hard. We just don't have guys who can hit shots. And then at the end of the day, when you can't make a shot, even as tough as you play defense, after the All-Star break, these guys were number eight in defensive efficiency. Part of that has to deal with Jeremy Lin coming back from his hamstring later on. You know, they kind of, I won't say they were a 500 team. They were closer to 500 when he came back. But regardless of whether Lin was on the floor, regardless of what lineup they put out there, those guys are playing hard. You know, and for a team of, of with a lot of people, 22 to, to 18 to 22, you know, that's, what you want. You want guys that are going to go out there and compete on a nightly basis. Guys that are going to put their, not their lives, but they're going to put their bodies on the line for for mm-hmm. basketball. And that's one thing that they got. Another thing that they got is they, they kind of like really set up what it is that they want to do on defense. They, they've got two guys who I thought are like, who can, who have the potential to be really, really front, really good front court and perimeter defenders in, uh, in Karis LeVert and Rondé Hollis Jefferson. When they put Rondé into the starting line, or really when they traded Boyan to, to the Wizards, uh, their uh, their defensive skyrocketed. Um, they were they were number five in defensive efficiency in the last month of the season. You know, and that's a really really good sign. So I think that if you're someone who's not really watching the Nets, but you see the record, but you kind of want to know what's going on, you got to understand these guys are doing it the right way. They're starting with defense. They're starting with execution. And what they need is the players. You know, they getting KCP, getting Otto Porter, going after those guys, that would have been nice. They struck out. They got Damari Carroll. They got uh, D'Angelo Russell. They might get somebody else. I think they still have a little bit more more cap space. But these guys are playing the right way. And that starts with Kenny. That starts with Sean uh, and the GM. And uh, I think that, you know, if one thing translated from last year in the, in the middle of the losses, is that these guys are going to go out and compete. They're going to play hard. And they're going to they're gonna try to play the right way. You can't say that about every team. That's true, um, and you're right. It, it definitely starts with Marks and 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 Atkinson have a, a way about them, a professionalism that I think was probably lacking from the organization, honestly, with Jason Kidd and, and post Jason Kidd um, in a lot of ways here. But I wanted to get your thoughts on the three um, guards, right? So actually, make make that four: Lavert, Dinwiddie, Whitehead, and Goodwin. Um, all played. They all seem to have a, a claim to be NBA. Not, you know, there's nothing D League about these guys. They're NBA players. How do you foresee that working out with the Nets uh, for that backcourt situation? They also have Kilpatrick too. That's right, and play. Kilpatrick, who was their um, what, leading scorer last year. Was he? I think so. Oh man. <laughs> well, look, Lopez is gone. But yeah. And then you have Lynn, obviously still yep. around, yep. and yep. Russell. It's, it seems like a lot of guards there vying for maybe the backups and, and backup spot, but they're all NBA level players. So, wh- any any thoughts from Atkinson on that, or, or your thoughts on that you know i i did ask him about having so many many young players and really no one stepping up you know to kind of be a star quote unquote you know no one no one emerges the, the guy who they can build around you can say kara stepped up and he played well you can say ronde stepped up and played well but no one stepped up as a, as a potential all-star you know so i asked him now how does that make your life more difficult as a coach when no one really steps up and he's like you know it, it kind of makes it a little bit easy he's like i kind of would, would rather it be this way because all these guys have something to prove you know, all these guys want to come out and compete. And, he, I, you know, it's it's interesting. You have a lot of guards. For me, I don't think it's going to work. I think they're going to have to move a couple of them. I know a couple of them are on non-guarantees that, that may have guaranteed by now or will guarantee at the end of the year or at the end of the month. I think that they're going to have to get rid of some of those guys just because it's not going to work when you have so many. They, they literally have a surplus of guards. You look at that, and then they brought in D'Angelo Russell. They still have Jeremy Lin. They got Dinwiddie, and all these guys do different things. None of them do it perfectly, you know. So it's just like, in my opinion, you, you got a guy like Archie. You got a guy like Spencer. You know, Spencer can come off the bench and get buckets, but he can't do much else. You know, Archie's a guy who's kind of been floating around a lot and still hasn't kind of hasn't you know put it all together just yet. You know, I think they're they're in a in a tough situation with all these guards that they have. They kind of need to figure it out because I don't think they I don't think all of them are going to be able to share a floor everyone's going to want minutes you know it's, so i think they're gonna to have to figure that out um i do think that the pairing of, of d'angelo russell and jeremy lynn can work 
if they if everyone buys in. Um, but that backup guard spot is going to be the toughest call for, for, for Atkinson. I'm sure he'll find a way to figure give, it out. Though. Give one of them the Wizards. I'd take Sean Kilpatrick. I think he's good. I would take. Well, him. yeah, any bench, don't you? You guys, yeah, I'll take him. Sure. I mean, we got. I mean, I know we got Jody Meeks and Tim Frazier now, but I would take Sean Kilpatrick. Um, so yeah, it, interesting times in Brooklyn. Tim, you wrote a. Speak of really interesting stories, I. I learned a lot from the story you published today, which was about these two-way contracts that every goddamn broadcast was talking about. Um, you know, and right right before Mike leads into that question, shout out to Ali Chimabashian here again, screwing up your names. I'm sorry. Who asked us about rule changes? What's your opinion on the rule changes? Uh, and what would you guys like to see changed additionally or instead? Or in this case, we'll elaborate on it because Tim talked about a very niche part of the rule changes here, which are the two-way contracts. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so you were talking about these two-way contracts, and and, and every ESPN broadcaster like, oh, wasn't this an amazing thing for the NBA? <laughs> like, isn't it great that they are giving all these players more of an opportunity, like long overdue, and this is just wonderful. And you you talked to some agents that didn't exactly share that opinion. Uh, yeah, they they really did not. Um, I I think I think the NBA like on, on a surface level, I I totally get how the NBA would look at this. Um, and, and, and say, and I'm sure it's something that the teams had advocated for a while. And, and it just in in a in a two way contract, which allows you to sign two more players, a, a 16th and 17th player on your roster, um, and that player will be allowed to be on your team for 45 days in the NBA season. I um, mean, they'll, they're going to spend the rest of the time um, in the D League. Um, and their salaries are also the G boosted. League. The uh, G League. In the, in the G League, yes. God, I'm, I'm never uh, going to get used to that. I, I made that mistake once in reporting out the story, and then actually a, uh, a G League guy made the mistake to uh, to, to me. So uh, it, <laughs> That should let you off the hook, Ben. Out there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He, uh, he quickly corrected himself, but uh, it's it's still out there even for those guys. <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess the, the thing here is, is Christian okay? Can we confirm that Christian's okay? okay. No, that was me. I, oh, I apologize. Okay. That was Tim. Okay. I, okay. Can, I, can, I can pick up. I can keep going. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> no, uh, no, no. But I, I just think it's like one of those things where there is this, uh, the perception here is that NBA rosters were just given two more spots to be creative with young players. That's the sell. That's the, the PR spin on this, right? Uh, if you have two guys who you think you, you know, need a little bit of fine-tuning or if there are elements to their game that are already right for your NBA team but there's other aspects that need to get better before they can actually be a part of it, that's the sell on the two-way position. But in actuality, what it does is it takes, and this, again, read Tim's column on this. I still need to finish it. I just started it as we were doing this podcast. In your defense, we, it did go up only like a, a few, few hours ago, a, right? A little bit before we started. Okay. Uh, sorry, Tim. I haven't even. <laughs> Damn. And, and Christian will get there. He just woke up. Everyone's still recovering from Vegas, guys. It's it's. Oh, you guys are both off the hook from that. Um, but the point here I is, I can't that, believe you guys don't have me on on tweet alerts, so you get every <laughs> every every story I publish straight to your phone. Doing that right now. Um, the point there here is. was like what it does actually though is it, it really limits. Uh, the scope of where if there are 29 teams that might need a single player's attributes, but he is a two-way player for that one lone team, now all of a sudden he's not going to be an NBA player. Mike, you used the Gary Payton Jr. example. That's what Tim used, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, From Tim's piece here. Can so you, basically Tim was – I mean, Tim can probably explain this better. but From the uh, source. Uh, but he used the example of – he talked to uh, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers head coach, um, whose name escapes me right now, um, Mike – Matt Brace, Matt Brace, who had Peyton on his team last year. This is like kind of a, a player who was not drafted last year from Oregon State. Um, I think he was undrafted, maybe a second-round pick. He played really well for Rio Grande Valley, and near the end of the D-League season, the Bucks called him up because the Bucks could – well, I guess they didn't call him up. They, they signed him to a uh, – a short-term contract. I forget if it was ten days or the rest of the season. It was, it was actually a, it was a multi-year deal that ran through the season and and extended oh, to yeah. the next season. That's right. It's one of those all not guaranteed. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those sort of deals that you see a lot in April um, mm-hmm. to try to retain this player through summer league and uh, training camp. Um, so he signs that deal and he goes right into making the prorated NBA salary until the end of for the rest of the season plus i don't know if he got a playoff bonus because the bucks made the playoffs then he gets to play the starting point guard of the bucks summer league team where he plays pretty well actually and, you know i watched some games i thought he was pretty impressive yeah. um and now i mean his contract is non-guaranteed but the bucks have at least one open roster spot if he makes the parent team he makes a cool what is the veteran minimum now for players of his experience it's, like 
It, it would be $1.3 million. Right. So the Rio Grande Valley coach was like, you know, well, it would have been, been great if we could have kept him in the Rocket system and we could have had this two-way deal that he could have gone up and down. But the problem is that if he had had the two-way deal, he couldn't have signed with the Bucks, right. And then he might not have gotten this other opportunity. Right. And instead, he's got a limit of how much time he, has, he can spend in the NBA. I think it's a 45-day limit. Um, and so if he spends all 45 of those days in the NBA – which is no guarantee, by the way. They don't have to bring him into the NBA at all, which is, I think is interesting sort of – I mean, if you're an NBA team trying to cut costs, like wouldn't you just mm-hmm. – what's the incentive to bring this person up if you don't need him? Yeah. I mean, so there's it's that true. as well. It works against the player. Right. It's so it's not like they're right. required to be there for 45 right. games. Um, yeah, and and obviously this is – it's it's great for teams. Um, you know, if, if a team has a player they like and they're like, you know, if, if they – they want to keep them keep them around, but don't see a spot on the 15-man roster. You know, if if they can get people assigned to this, you know, it's good for them. Um, it's good for some players. You know, if players really think that, you know, they they see um, a path to making a team, and they need the development and the commitment from a franchise to kind of push them uh, on on the way there. You know, I'm sure we're going to see success stories really soon. Uh, probably next summer from people who were two-way contracts and then get get NBA contracts. And mm-hmm. and likewise, you know, not every situation is going to be Gary Payton where um where where he he is able to sign with with a team and then ends up uh, signing somewhere else because because he you know he showed he showed uh, what he was able to do do in the D League. I mean that was yeah. or, um, or that was Covington in, too in the G League. But that was but, literally but Robert the, Covington as well. But yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, there, exactly, exactly. There are a number but of the examples thing, the thing, too. The, the the thing that worries me. The thing that worries me is that that NBA contracts, you know, the, the life of an NBA player or the the career of an NBA player is so short um, that that it 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 makes me slightly uncomfortable for for players, you know, not to have autonomy over where they can go and what teams they can sign with in in situations like this, where maybe the only chance they're going to get to to spend a year or two in the NBA is is to kind of strike when when their D League value is the hottest or the there I go again. The G League value is the hottest. When they're playing, when, I'm never when they're playing to the it. best that they, yeah, exactly. It's a dry yeah, heat. It's never happened. It's, <laughs> it's going to be 2027, and I will once it's, it's going to be called the the A League by then, and I'll, I'll still be saying D League. Oh, could, could you imagine uh, if it like rotated letters? Like one year it's the T League, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, you make a good point. Um, you look at the players yeah. who have signed two year deals, as as you wrote, like none of them are like top D League prospects. Right. You know, because right. the top D-League I mean, prospects want the option to be able to sign with anyone. I mean, I remember when I – one of the times when I, I used to kind of ask the Widgets, like, hey, why don't you guys have your, your D-League team? Like, wouldn't that be so much better for you? One of the ways that they would push back on me is say, well, we could sign anyone from any team, and we've done that with a lot of players. This yeah. is like years and years ago before more teams had affiliates and they knew they needed to catch up. This is like – you know, 2012, 2013, they'd say, well, look, we, we, we signed Garrett Temple and he became a really key player for us for a while. Like, but we, we didn't sign it from our D league affiliate. We could just sign it from somewhere else. So, um, that, that's the same thing with Gary Payton as well. I mean, it it does take away an avenue for these teams to improve. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, that really interesting story. We do have some yeah. questions we want to get to. Yeah, and we should mention, too, that the only other rule changes that really started to be implemented, I mean, there were a few, obviously, um, more pertaining to timeouts, uh, you know, flow of the game, pace and play type rule changes, of which there are fewer timeouts and no more 20-second and fulls, and they're all 75 seconds, and, and we'll see how that all plays out. My thought there is coaches will adjust right away, and it won't be that big of a deal. No more under nine timeouts, though, yep, which no is going to totally change the flow of how I watch games, but it's probably good. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully slightly quicker games. Um, it's not a, a rule change. Where do you guys stand on the on the season being pushed up? Oh, I I like it. I mean, I think Mike and I may have mentioned this in a previous. Maybe this was off uh, off microphone here, but uh, I, I think it's great. Start the season a little earlier. Space the games out a little more. Don't have that truncated potentially um, uh, the last month of the season where you have. Um, a few back-to-backs and teams who have already quit and the, the kind of the, the play of the game becomes a little bit secondary to the matchups and rest. Um, I don't think you'll have as much of that now. I think it's fine. I also think it also goes hand-in-hand hand with competing with, um, and, and no, probably not directly as the thought, but it's the same as the NHL is now as well. It's moved up uh, earlier, so it probably has something to do with, with I would that. like it if they didn't have 82 games, but failing <laughs> that as an option, this yeah. is fine. Yeah. Um, um, cool. So... 
those were a couple questions here. Uh, quick hitters. Um, we'll give this first one to, let's do Christian first, because uh, I know this name's come up a few times. Uh, from Corbin Ford Watson, thanks for the question here. Thoughts on Kyle Kuzma? Does he crack LA's crowded front court? If so, what's the position slash role? Um, uh, I can't, you know, they've got Larry Nance, they've got Julius Randle, they've got Brandon Ingram. I can't see him feasibly getting substantial play time as a rookie over those guys, but he's, he's, he's showed that he can play, you mm-hmm. know, unlike Randall and Nance, he can shoot the NBA three. He can shoot it pretty well. He can run pretty fast. He can get down the court. Him and Lonzo ball have really, really good chemistry so far. I mean, even though it's just summer league, those guys are kind of inseparable. You can see it in the media. You can see it in the post game interviews. They, they've started doing some of them together. Yeah. So I, I think it would, it would be kind of crazy if he didn't find his way onto the court. But the reality is they've got, those three guys that I just mentioned. So he's going to have to beat some of those guys out. Um, I would be interested in seeing him and Brandon Ingram share the floor together as a three, four combo with Lonzo ball running out, running the, the show. You know, I think that would be really interesting with KCP and maybe Julius Randall playing small ball five. Yeah. That'd be yeah. interesting. I mean, I don't know how much longer Randall's going to be on the team. Um, yeah, so I think that's especially with their big summer dreams. So I think it wouldn't shock me if you played yeah. more. Um, I love this question from uh, our friend Joshua Riddell at uh, Draft Express. Um, I had a little bit of trouble answering this, so I'm curious what you guys think. His question was, who was the most impressive player who was not drafted in 2017, but also was not someone that like you had necessarily heard of um, that you saw? Tim, who was the most impressive player, not a rookie, but also not a household name that you saw that kind of jumped off the page for you? Yeah, yeah. Besides the besides the Lakers guys who both kind of stood out, Caruso and Kuzma, I think those would probably be popular options. Um, but I, I, I do have a deeper cut. Uh, Mike James with with the Suns. Hmm. Uh, not yeah, yeah. He's a he had played overseas, I believe, in Greece before this, and I was I was really impressed by him. He's a he's like a six six three six four point guard uh, with a with a pretty decent shot. And in fact, one game he was. He was like four or four or five or five on threes and, and really hitting, you know, even even pull up shots and stuff. And, you know, he won't always go for the, you know, that's not sustainable shooting. However, I, I was just impressed by, you know, his overall ball handling and, and the, the way he carried himself um, as a as a as a point guard and, and also his passing. I thought that all seemed uh, seemed really sharp to me. And uh, I, I thought he was uh, he was pretty impressive. And he he, in fact, did sign a two way contract with the yep. Suns. So he'll be he'll be in the league next year to some extent. Christian, you got anybody? I think with, with Mike James, I think that type of two-way contract makes sense. You know, I think that was just a team where he, he played for the Summer League team. He understands the system. He can go back and forth knowing that he might not get a lot of time as, with the starters or with in, in Phoenix with the NBA team, but he can play, you know, for the D-League affiliate. I think one guy that stood out to me a little bit early on was Dwight Bikes. Um, hadn't heard his name in quite some time, and he, uh, he had a pretty good uh, Summer League show. And I remember he was picking apart Jason Randall. When they were playing the Knicks, he really shut them down on one end and was was really giving them a hard time on the other. So I think he was a guy who did who did some service for himself. And then of course Brent Forbes, you know he's not a yep. rookie. He he at one point I think he was averaging twenty nine points or so at a certain point. It was really ridiculous and there was no he had, literally no one had any answers for him. Like seriously, he was picking people apart. But, Summer league stuff. Yeah, Dwight yeah. Bikes, Summer League veteran. Um, Bryn Forbes, I wonder if uh, there was at least a part of San Antonio's thinking in letting Jonathan Simmons go was the way Forbes is playing. Because he, I mean, he was technically on the team last year, but I really didn't know much about him until I saw him. And yeah. he can score in a lot of ways, uh, and he can really uh, he can come off screens, he can handle the ball. Uh, sometimes these guys just get hot, and that's sort of hard to translate. But mm-hmm. I, bet, I, bet, I wonder if he's going to play a lot. Well, I guess Manu's coming back now so yeah. maybe not anymore but, but there's a measure of like Manu might play what 50 games to be yeah. ready for the playoffs in which case you can you can use Forbes accordingly um right also Parker is injured so maybe Manu will play some one yeah uh, and so then they'll need minutes at the two yeah I bet he plays a bit um you know a lot more than we may expect so he was uh he was pretty impressive to me I liked uh Jonathan Motley I thought he was pretty good for Dallas uh Ben anyone else stand out for you I mean look it's hard for me to say any of the non-rookies but of the rookie class and I'm sorry to not answer this question exactly right but (laughs) but I will say that Swanigan who we've not mentioned yet was impressive in a lot of ways first off I don't know how he's not on the Spurs he's basically a San Antonio Spur at his at his ethos of how he plays uh, he's also going to be someone who is going to be a much better player like five years from now it seems like he's got the learning curve down pat um, 
you watch him when he went into Purdue, even when he was making his decision between Michigan State and Purdue many, many years ago, now like three years ago, um, it was, yeah, but we'll see what he becomes. And then you watch last night and you see he has a pretty nice jump shot. He sees the game real well and he's physically different. I mean, it's not to say that he's, you know, physically gifted as an athlete, but he's no. physically different. Guys who move people around, who create space, who, again, you set him setting a screen for someone is better than other people, especially because he has the pop version as well. Um, so I was impressed sure by Swan again. Yeah, he can really pass. Um, it's just so slow. I just don't know if he can hold up in yeah. against NBA players on and, defense. And but Portland has some other big slow guys on their on their team too. Yeah. Um, and then, then Christian, you were impressed by him, and you talked to him, and they were saying that they want him to emulate look at Draymond Green film, which I feel like is sort of a catch-all for a lot of players yeah. at that size. Um, what what were they telling him exactly? For me, how it started was I was just watching the Portland game. I had no idea who Caleb Swanigan was, and I just saw this guy grabbing defensive rebounds, pushing up the floor, and then and hitting his teammates. I'm like, wait, this guy's 6'9", 260 pounds. Why is he doing this? Yeah. And then come to find out he, this is part of his game. So, you know, they, they want to show him Draymond Green film because he's busting out, and he's, he's he can – handle the ball at least a little bit mm-hmm. and they believe they believe in his passing ability which we saw you know last night when he, i think he had seven assists um i felt like last night his his game was a little bit rushed or you know he was he was getting the ball and he was pushing it was not rushed it was forced yeah you know, he was getting the ball he was grabbing rebounds pushing and we didn't necessarily have to he could have gave it to a guard right there um i do think he still has to develop into that draymond green type role he's not there yet obviously draymond is one of the best to do it you know for in a variety of ways but um, I, from what we saw, he's a guy who, who can possibly be a, a, a play initiator. You know, we saw him operating out of the high post, hitting his teammates, hitting some guys in the corner, hitting cutters. He can shoot the ball. He's going to have to get a little bit better. He has like a little flat-footed jump shot. Mm-hmm. So I think he's going to fix that or I, I don't know how he's going to fix that. But, you know, I, I like what I see. I do agree with you. He's a little bit big and his footwork, they, they do like his footwork, but it's not good enough to be switching on to guys like Bryn Forbes, you know, so... Uh, I do like what I see from him on offense. Defensively, he has some some holes in his game, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Last question I have before we let you guys go: weirdest jersey you saw at summer league? Like players' jersey? No, 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 like a by like a fan. Yeah, like yeah. the the most bizarre fan jersey you saw uh, during your trip. Oh man, I saw I saw a Lonzo Ball jersey that used to be. Oh man, who was it? Um, it was it it was a it was a number two. With B, it was Shannon Brown. It was a <laughs> Shannon Brown first. and the guy uh, he put yellow duct tape over the uh, the 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 round part R O W N and put uh, all ball instead on it. That's wow, it's pretty good. good. Who has a Shannon Brown jersey? What for? The Lakers fans will cling to anything. He was fun for like two seconds when he who was in that dunk contest. Or he he was really bad in the dunk contest, but he had that one missed dunk that was one of the best. You know, it was right up there with Dennis's missed dunk that, that <laughs> Shannon Brown had this playoff dunk that uh, still burned into my memory from watching that. Uh, um, I don't think I saw any crazy jerseys, to be honest. Oh, or maybe come I was on. You probably just weren't probably looking. Was, <laughs> yeah, I think Seth, Seth took a screen cap of me. And I guess he got me on TV just being super, super focused on the game and not really paying attention to much else. Um, uh, company see. man answer there. I see. Uh, I was too busy working to uh, notice the jerseys. <laughs> uh, okay. Looking looking for jerseys was as part of your job when you go to summer it league. Is, I, mean, I guess no. I guess you're going to have to know that for next year. I mean, last year I asked a bunch of people, like, what's the story behind this jersey? And I, I wrote it in a post. It was, like, actually kind of fun. It was fun to track these people down. I saw, uh, of course I can't remember who it is, uh, I saw one player give a little kid his jersey, and that little kid was the happiest kid on the planet, um, and he wasn't like a star guy, but it was just a, a who was it? Uh, it's a, of course, it, it's, it's stuck in me right now, I can't find it, I can't find the name. <laughs> well, we'll, but, put it, we'll put it in when this I post, do remember, yeah, when this goes up. Yeah, I remember it. All right, all right, well, this was good, this was fun, we, um... <laughs> we need to send uh, these two guys to Summer League every year, Mike. I think you made the right decision. Yeah, I miss going, but there's some. they came back with some really great stuff, and it's <laughs> great. It's really a fun event. Uh, yeah. I think the secret's starting to get out on how fun an event it is. Uh, yeah. But it's it's yeah. really great, and I'm glad you guys had such a good time and you you were able to produce stuff and give us some insight on like kind of these teams that maybe are not necessarily covered as heavily. Obviously we all covered the yep. Lonzo show, but you know, the Nets and the Suns yep. and Dallas and uh, you know, 
poor Caleb Swanigan and these sure. these players. It's sort of a, a good. It's a really big moment for those teams that you don't hear as much about. Right. So right. it was great. Um, cool. We are going to be off for a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. There might be some ancillary podcast next week. I'm trying to lock down a, a guest. Mike will be on vacation. It might just be a poorly edited version of this podcast with just me and a guest. But we'll we'll probably get into that, and then we'll come back with our uh, team previews, which obviously are some of the things we're highly anticipating. Uh, you know, again, they lead us into the season, so we're excited to do that. And, and for Celtics fans out there and Kings fans, we're going to talk plenty about Jason Tatum uh, and Darren Fox. Uh, we have not forgotten about them, although we did not talk about them on this podcast. They were exceptional to watch as well in the Summer League, and there's plenty of uh, high expectations to be talked about there. So we'll get to the team previews. Uh, shortly, yeah. In a August first is the first one. We're gonna have uh, Christian. Who'll Christian be will be on with uh, <laughs> our Anthony Puccio from Nets Daily to start right. with the Brooklyn Nets. So that's right. We are pairing uh, different voices from the Espionation Network with uh, the experts at our team sites uh, yeah. to talk about the pulse of the fan base coming into the year. We, uh, I know you guys really enjoyed those last year, so we are <laughs> starting those up again, doing all 30 teams leading up into the NBA season, which, of course, starts 10 days earlier than it did last year, which means Super. we have a little less time to fit these in. So um, those will start August 1st, but until then, we're probably going to kind of take a little bit of a breather. Uh, maybe Ben will mess around and record a podcast. <laughs> um, but we look forward. You should check those out then. We're going to probably go, what, like two or three a week at this point? Yeah, something like that. Man, and our offseason is so short. There is no offseason. That's what this just confirmed. The fact, the fact that free agency, the draft is so big, free agency is so important, that Summer League is now this this hyped event, um, it really does kind of show you the truncated nature of the quote-unquote offseason here. Uh, and last name that it's, we didn't mention. It's a 12-month season. It, it really is. And the last name we didn't mention, by the way, who was kind of phenomenal in, in clips uh, and, and dominant in certain spurts was John Collins. And we'll talk more about him uh, on the Atlanta podcast because he's now off the board for current odds rookie of the year. He's not. You can't even bet on him to win rookie of the year and he's going to have a great opportunity in Atlanta plenty of time to play and he looks like he could be that new no, hybrid uh, actual Draymond hybrid he but, looked really good <laughs> he's going to dunk on at least 10 people next year yeah yeah I mean uh, at least 10 people that's a lot of people to dunk yeah. on maybe he'll I mean, welcome maybe, Dwight maybe back. I can help I can help him sort of be one of the 10 people and stand <laughs> in the gym and he can dunk on me to reach Christian's quota <laughs> but I right. could not dunk yeah. on me <laughs> foul the hell out of him. Yeah, Who, yeah. He he could dunk on the dude that he dunked on, but he will not do, dunk do on think, Tim Cato. Do you think Hawks Fierro would approve that pitch? I want John Collins to try to dunk on me. I'll, I'll give it all the consideration well, it deserves. How many waivers would we have to sign for that? Um, <laughs> is the real question. But uh, all right, guys, every one, that, <laughs> every one of them. All right, Tim Cato, Christian Winfield, Mike Prada. I'm Ben Epstein. Thanks hey. again, as always, guys, for joining us here. And thanks for listening to this season of Limited Upside. Yeah. I guess this is technically yeah. the season finale of the year. And we're turning a page onto the previews. Until next time, this is a Limited Upside podcast. <laughs>